Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Today, I risk it all to defend Kevin O'Connell for every decision he made yesterday. But I'm here to rip Ed Donatell as well. Don't worry. Uh, Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk. I'm back today, conveniently ready to talk about our gambling picks update. Maybe today we can finally settle on a loser punishment now that I'm feeling confident this week. <laughs> uh, Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network. I'm here to question Luke Braun's defense of the Vikings defense. And I'm Luke Braun of Lockdown Vikings. I, what defense? I'm going to defend that defense less than the Vikings defended the Lions. You don't want to miss that. It's next on the Minnesota Football Party. Locked on Sports Minnesota Podcasts. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings Insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. Welcome to the Minnesota football party on a Monday. The Vikings fall to the Detroit Lions, and we're here to talk about it for the next hour on Locked On Sports Minnesota. I'm Sam Ekstrom, joined by Luke Inman, Superior Sports Talk, Luke Braun, Locked On Vikings, Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network. Make sure you find us on Amazon Fire and Roku, the Locked On Sports Minnesota apps. We're free and available wherever you get your podcasts, and we're available on YouTube as well. Like, comment, subscribe there. Get all of our shows except the video version. We teased it plenty in the open. We're going to get into the Vikings' defensive woes against Detroit and the ongoing woes that we've experienced with them throughout the year. We're going to talk about Kevin O'Connell's decision-making in that game, some fourth-down decisions, two-point decisions, onside kick decisions. How do we feel about that? Of course, Luke Inman wants to talk about the gambling update. We'll do that with our gambling picks. And by the way, Luke, the loser punishment is a punt, pass, and kick in the snow for the loser. They have to run through like that, like the combine, like drills oh. at at the whims of the winners. Um, okay. They get to manage what they have to do on camera. Um, but we do need a punishment for those that have gone in the red. That still is up in the air. Which is now all so of us. Who has not? Okay. I, okay. I was going to say, haven't all of us I been went in the red, red at some this point? time for the first time, so that's now all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Two team. A Vikings all right. rat. We're all in A it together. Group Misery Vikings loves rat. company. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like we've already got some disagreement, I guess, between Arif and, uh, and Luke Braun about how they feel about this defense, or at least perceived disagreement. So, uh, Arif, what are you going to rip Luke for? Let's get that out of the way right oh, now. Oh, no, apparently Luke's mentions are full of people who think that Luke thinks that the defense is fine and doesn't need oh, to be changed yeah. simply because he doesn't want to fire the defensive coordinator like three weeks before the playoffs. <laughs> No, uh, I yes, Luke, Luke, underst Luke understands even better than I do uh, how bad the defense is and what the differences are between, you know, what this defense is doing, what the successful styles of this defense are doing uh, around the NFL. And a lot of that, of course, has to do with Ed Donatel. A lot of it has to do with the limitations of the personnel that Ed Donatel is dealing with. I think that the fact that the Vikings just don't have good cornerback play and 
the thing is, like Patrick Peterson, I believe, has been kind of lucky all year in this game. You know, we, we saw that that's not going to last forever. But the primary issue actually had nothing to do with him, of course. It had to do with the safety play without Harrison Smith in there. We expected mistakes from Josh Metellus, but we actually got them from Cam Bynum. Uh, and uh, we didn't get to see, uh, you know, solid cornerback play opposite Patrick Peterson with Cameron Dancer back. So, I mean, the issue is the secondary and the capabilities of the secondary and what that allows the defense to do. That said, you know, Luke likes to use the phrase training wheels of this defense uh, basically to, to get across the idea that the defense is at its basically its base version. It does not have the more complex versions of the defense installed yet. We've talked about that on the show a couple of times. Uh, and some of that, again, has to do with the personnel limitations. Some of that has to do with how uh, quickly we're, we're able to teach that defense. I still think that it is too basic. I still think that even acknowledging that you cannot install the full defense or whatever that means, right? That it can't be as complex as it needs to be. It's it's still too, it's overcorrecting for those personnel limitations. Mm -hmm. And I think that, that magnifies the problems the defense has. Can I interject with an example of the basicness of the defense and then Luke Braun you've been destroying this defense all year I want you to have the floor as well but this is I think a good example of the lack of creativity in the Ed Donatel defense so last year the Vikings had 276 pass rush snaps from non-defensive linemen linebackers safeties corners they turned that into 48 pressures. So that's about a 20% pressure rate. And then they turned those 48 pressures into 16 sacks. So about a third of their total sacks as a team came from non-defensive linemen. That's just great blitz schematics from Mike Zimmer. This year, on pace for 129 pass rush snaps, non-defensive linemen, less than half mm. of last year, and they are on pace to turn that into 2.6 sacks. So they're not only are they not bringing rushers from different places trying to confuse the offense, but when they do, they're not turning it into much of anything. That, I think, is a key difference between last year's defense, which I thought actually extracted a lot of production from a not-great group, compared to this year, a group that's been pretty healthy and they've extracted very little production in terms of pass rush. Before Luke talks, um, because he's going to speak about it in a little bit more detail, I just want to add the Vikings personnel is very well suited to blitzing and they just don't. I mean, you've got Harrison Smith who's very good at it. We know mm -hmm. uh, that Josh Metellus can blitz. Jordan Hicks is a good blitzer or a better blitzer than he is at the other jobs at linebacker. Um, and Eric Hendricks is, is a pretty reasonable blitzer as well. And so it's just, it's wild to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way that the Vikings have approached this, I think was just like, it's been wrong since May. And I think this is, we're just like reaping the consequences of mistakes that were made in the summer. Um, and I know that sounds super existential. And like, the question is, okay, what do you do? How do you fix it? I, I don't think there's a fix. I think the defense just sucks. See you in 2023. Like, defense, it's, it's just how it's going to be. And if you want to win games, if you want to win in the playoffs, you're just going to have to win in spite of it. I know that's, like, super nihilistic and doomy, but that's the way it is because you can't make a, a giant, the kind of big change that it requires to fix what they're doing. Um, right now, what Arif was talking about with training wheels, 
they are running, not only are they not folding in the layers of complexity that a Vic Fangio style defense tends to have with those really cool blitzes and then having players like Zadarius Smith, Daniel Hunter, Harrison Smith that are so good at that stuff. It is such a colossal and and, and just like heartbreaking waste of talent. Um, but also Fangio defenses don't live in split safety too high. The shell thing that the Vikings are doing. That's not the way Fangio defenses operate they use it a lot more than other teams but they don't live it in it exclusively we've basically taken what is one tool in the bag of a fangio defense and made it the only tool we have it's it's our home and it's because they're afraid to go to those more middle of field closed coverages you notice how it's always a catch over the middle of the field that's because the vikings play middle of field open coverages if the vikings want their defense to be a serious outfit and it is currently an unserious outfit. It's the worst defense in the league by a few metrics. Wow. And everybody gets to have their get-right game. How many people <clears throat> in this season have had the best game of their season against the Minnesota Vikings? I, I haven't looked at all of them, <laughs> but I know that Mac Jones, Justin Fields, and Mike White all did. So, And I'm talking passing, too, with Justin Fields, not scrimmage. So make of that what you will. Uh, but... To fix this, they have to start calling cover ones or their cover three things, which they'll call a lot of that cover nine, but their cover three stuff. They have to start calling that stuff. Get Harrison Smith in the box doing what he does best. They inherited a Zimmer defense, and they're asking Zimmer players to do Fangio stuff. And one of my projects for this week is going to be to kind of figure out exactly how the reads are different, because you can tell Eric Kendricks in particular is doing a lot of thinking, and it's making him late to everything, and that's kind of been the problem yeah. all year. Yeah. Um, and, and I want to find more specificity about, okay, why is it so different for him to think this way? How, how are the reads different? I'm not very familiar with that. And it was one of my projects to, to get better at that. But right now, it, it is just taking guys and asking them to do stuff that's different than the thing that made them all pros for their whole careers. It's completely insane. Um, now, it, maybe this gets better next year as guys get a little bit closer to it and uh, a, a little bit more familiar with it, right? Like Eric Kendricks chasing down plays feels like it should be a good thing for his skill set, and he's just not used to it. Um, Daniil Hunter, on the other hand, I don't know if, if this is where he should be. I think his hand should be in the dirt, and maybe a 4-3 would just be a better thing for him. I know Ron Johnson has suggested like a hybrid kind of deal. Maybe that's the, the move. Harrison Smith should not just be on the roof trying to poach coverages. He's great at that, but he should be doing everything. Like Charles Davis says he's the fixer. He should be everywhere. Uh, and it's just, there's a lot of talent on this team that's going to waste. And so it feels like, you know, oh, we have this huge personnel issue because we're asking dudes to do the stuff they're not good at. So yeah, it looks like we just don't have enough talent because they're not talented at that stuff. They're talented at stuff they're not being asked to do. And that is asinine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know what firing at Donatel fixes. Like... What, are you going to get a better defense with Mike Pettin? Because that's what you're asking for if you're asking to fire Ed Donatel. There's not a world where it's not Mike Pettin, especially if you do it in the middle of the season. They, they would blitz um, him. I mean, that would it would solve that specific mm -hmm. problem. <laughs> yeah, They'd also I think you both... Off into coverage a lot more. <laughs> do we want that? Just make sure you no, I... read the fine print on that deal with the devil. But I, So I don't know what there isn't to fix. No, I, I think you're both right. I think you both hit the, the nail on the head. I don't just want to regurgitate the same stuff. But a Reese point, 
They just don't have the defensive backs right now. And I, I understand they're going through a lot at cornerback with all the injuries. They got nothing out of their second-round pick they were kind of banking on. They've had to pull guys in off the street and plug them in. I get all that. But the one thing that always helps put a little Band-Aid over it, just kind of average DB play, is the pass rush. And you guys just touched on it. They can't get home with these four right now. Zadarius had, what, eight and a half sacks first eight weeks. He's got one in the last six. Hunter hasn't been productive from a number standpoint there either, as Luke just mentioned. And for whatever reason, Donatel, just for his life, will just not dial up these blitzes. Sam mentioned it this morning on Superior Sports. Sixth lowest blitz percentage in the NFL. That just needs to change. And, you know, we do our stats, you know, once a week, our, our, our daily stats. I always read the pass rush win rate. Vikings just have consistently ranked in the bottom five all season long. So, to Luke's point, like, we knew this thing would have training wheels on it for a little bit. There's going to be some trial and error. We knew that. But it's week 15, guys. Like, it's time to look at your team, I think, and just know what works and what doesn't. Know your limitations, where you can maximize your, your best players and best assets. And I think this just weekly copy-paste, soft coverage, don't give up the big play, bend but don't break defense. It's not sustainable come playoff time when you get down 10 points, two possessions, and teams can both run in, pass on you, and generating more power pass rush, however that needs to happen, is a must. Things need to be more creative, both looks and designs, as you guys already pointed out. And then the other thing, too, I was thinking about, when you think back to what made Mike Zimmer's defense is so great, of course he made all his money on third down, exotic looks, the A-gap blitzes, etc. But the whole key was winning on first and second down and stopping the run. Lions just averaged, what, four and a half yards per carry. Jets ran it 29 times. They averaged 4.4 uh, 4 yards per carry, I think. Cowboys put up like 150 on the ground. And the week before that, if you remember, the Bills were running it down their throats too until for whatever reason they just stopped running the ball in the second half and they started passing every play. So I say it's this because – like yeah, Bills are going to Bills. We were waiting for the Lions to Lions so. yesterday, and they just didn't. <laughs> Bills definitely, uh, uh, you know, did their thing that game. But I say that because, you know, I'm sitting here saying, well, pass rush needs to be better. But I think the best way to do that is creating those third and longs, stopping the run, winning on first down and second down, exactly what kind of made Zimmer's scheme work so well. Easier said than done, I get it. But stopping the run, I think, would go a long way in putting yourself in better positions to just get after these passers on third down so he doesn't have all day to pick you apart like we watched Goff do yesterday. Uh, you're both right. There's, there's no like magic fix at this point. They kind of are who they are. But there's definitely a few wrinkles and tweaks that would go a long way into making this defense back to respectability that we saw in those first two months again come playoff time, I think. All right. So what is the, the big knock? on pet because the raw numbers from green bay are not that bad but pass defense was above average run defense a little below average but not that bad of results uh but i know people don't like him so who who among us has done the research on Petten to know why exactly the blogosphere the twitter sphere are low on mike Petten's prospects because this i mean this could be a norv turner situation where, and I don't want to be ageist, but the first time head coach brings in an old, like, steady hand who may not have his fastball anymore. Um, and at some point, that person kind of, you know, filters their, their way out. And then the understudy, in Turner's case, it was Pat Shermer. Now it's Mike Pettin takes over. What What is the knock on Pettin, Bron? Uh, my understanding is that he, A, he, he does a lot more base stuff, which leads to 
a lot of defensive end slash pass rusher guys in coverage and in such a way that it was really easy for quarterbacks to find it. Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I'm not that familiar well, okay. with Packers stuff. Yeah. So, I just want to point out too, that the lions fall, fired their DBs coach six weeks ago. And ever since then, they've kind of turned things around to your point, yeah, Sam, maybe a North Turner situation. Der- Durante Jones yeah. is at fault. It's Durante. <laughs> <laughs> course so uh if you like followed um you know packers writers during that moment in time the issue was that and it that is still an issue with the packers by the way uh that the amount of talent that they had defensively was extraordinary they had really good defensive players they couldn't cohere into a strong enough defense a lot of the defensive numbers from my understanding were built up against weak passing offenses and when they went up against quarterbacks they were a little bit better at getting through the reads pretty quickly um, the defense collapsed. This is just my understanding, right? Um, and so uh, there was that. Uh, there's always kind of like the what's happening in, in late game situations and stuff like that. Rodgers consistently had to like, kind of dig them out of the hole. But my understanding is that they expected much more given how talented those defenses were from a personnel standpoint. They didn't get it. Um, I, I think a lot of times Packers fans also kind of just remember how good the defense was from about 2010 to about 2013. Uh, and they want that, and sometimes it's just going to be kind of difficult to to get that again. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, th- I, I think that's part of it too. But I think a lot of it is just underutilizing the personnel, and given the reputation he had coming out of the Jets, how good those defenses were when he was the defensive coordinator there and his background with the Ravens, um, you just expected, I think, a lot more than you got given kind of the tools he had to work with. Yeah, it, it's tough to imagine that Mike Pettin also doesn't have influence on this defense. He is the assistant head coach by title. So I I don't think Donatel is just vetoing everything he's doing. Maybe he is, but I'm sure that Pettin's influence exists in this defense as it is now. And uh, maybe it wouldn't be as radical of a change from one to the next. And I'm not suggesting that they make that change this season anyway. I think that's probably not realistic. Even though the Vikings have, have made a coordinator move, at this stage in the season, and it kind of worked um, from uh, Filippo to Stefanski. Um, I want to get into other topics as well, not just the defense. This episode brought to you, though, by BetOnline.net. Vikings favored by four against the Colts on Saturday by four, trying to clinch the division. You can get that line and so much more at BetOnline.net. It's NBA, NCAA basketball, NCAA football. Um, and, of course, every NFL line, every week of the year. Track it all week long. Uh, get your betting fix at betonline.net. Find it on your mobile device as well. It's where the game starts. I'm going to stand on the table for Kevin O'Connell now. I don't think the pot pass on first and goal was a bad decision. I don't think going for two was a bad decision. I don't think the onside kick was a bad decision. I liked all of his game management yesterday. Would anyone like to disagree with me? The floor is open. Uh, Don't be afraid. I would, I would like to hear what Luke Braun's thoughts on the pop pass were because genuinely I could not understand what his thoughts were from his Twitter. So it uh, would yeah, be fun fair. to get that. But, yeah. Um, but I, I I don't mind the, the two-point conversion decision. I thought later when they did score again, 
they should have gone for two again. I thought that that was a bad decision, and that should be included in there. But mm -hmm. the onside kick decision I thought was bad. They had two timeouts left. It was over a minute left. Um, you force a punt, you're in a better spot. You automatically, by failing an onside kick, create a field goal opportunity that makes it a two-score game, making it impossible to come back. I thought that the onside kick decision was pretty poor. Onside kick recovery rates are awful. Um, I know the Vikings are kind of in their bag uh, when it comes to special teams. They generally have quite a good special teams unit. Uh, did not go remarkably well uh, in, in, in this game, uh, given it was a 42-yard run as well. But um, yeah. even having confidence in your special teams unit, I, I don't think that when onside kicks are expected that you can you can do that. Um, so I don't I don't like the, the decision for an onside kick. I think basically you should only do it in situations where um, a defensive stop is essentially an impossible ask. Uh, and that was not the case in this situation. It's the Vikings defense, um, Arif. Uh, well, they did get us. <laughs> they got a stop, right? They got a stop, and then the Lions got a field goal, right? No, so, no, they gave up a Panay Sewell reception yeah first down they, they gave all up, but they needed to get a first down yeah they needed mm, okay. to, to yeah. do it to force a three and that's out. true hey, who's that, that on by the way that situation the first. but who who's who like, that on find him the penny my Sewell, guess would be kendrick's but yeah. i want to see oh Kendrick's well whoever has the better. green dot honestly no one reacted to a penny sewell motion um <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably kendrick's actually <laughs> yeah, uh, i guess kendrick's but i don't know but yeah i mean Okay, if your defense is like so bad that you just cannot get a stop, uh, the low chances of an onside kick are, are not going to help you. My point is that the defensive stop is impossible insofar as uh, you're not going to get anything out of it, right? If you don't get anything out of a defensive stop, then yeah, an onside kick. But here, you do get something out of a, a defensive stop. You just have to be better on defense. Like, I don't know. Like, it's a late game situation. One and a half minutes left, you have to kick off. It's it's low odds either way, but your better odds are with your defense, honestly. So I think the onside kick was a bad decision. And yeah, the decision I, not so to go for two later. I, I was I was super confused about the first two point conversion at the time. The more I read up on it later, the fact sounds like that is actually kind of the right call. I wasn't that harsh on the onside kick, but Arif did a, a, a good job there kind of laying out why that was probably the wrong choice. I think the pop pass, especially the way it unfolded, is the one people hate the most. And for, like for me, I understand the logic, and it sounds like, Sam, you're going to kind of defend it. Like the whole play is designed on catching them off guard, surprising them. Like it's a gotcha play. So that's why first down, I guess, is the last down they probably expect a gotcha play on. I still think you try to score in a more normal fashion on first and second down first, sell that run on third down before you kind of pull that one out of your bag of tricks. Easy to call out now. I know if it works, everyone goes nuts. KOC's a genius, but that was certainly a huge turning point and kind of catalyst into why the Vikings lost that game. You're talking about a minimum three points, if not seven, turning around, getting the ball at halftime. Instead, it's a 10 to 14 point swing. That play alone probably needs to be criticized the most, I think. And, by the way, what's the deal with Dalvin fumbling against Detroit? Is that not like his fifth or sixth fumble against this team? <laughs> Something about the Lions defense. Might be. Dalvin's Might just be. like become it's, susceptible prone look to that up. It's just kind of a weird thing. Thing. It, it, is, <laughs> it is really difficult to break down Dalvin Cook's fumbles because this one comes on a quote unquote sack, right? And I would yeah. not yeah. say that the process <laughs> yeah. here is similar yeah. to other fumbles that he's had. But also, like half his fumbles occur on plays that he gets injured. Right? He gets kind hurt toward the ACL. <laughs> kind yeah. of yep. difficult yep. to like, you know, blame him too much. Uh, before we 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 uh, pass it off to Bron, one last thought on that pop pass for me mm -hmm. is 
I'm fine with it. I just think that it is a decision you should think twice about when you have two backup linemen in there and offensive line communication is really important, especially when your communicator is one of the linemen that's out. So that's that's Good my point. only thought on that. I think it's a fine call otherwise. Mm-hmm. Ron? Yeah, I'm fine with the idea of calling a trick play on the goal line, like in the abstract, right? And I think everybody probably is fine with, like, oh, yeah, get a cre- little creative. That's kind of the time to do it is when you've only got three yards to the end zone. Um, they practiced it all week. Kevin O'Connell said after the game that he felt good about their ability to execute it. So the idea of calling it and like, uh, getting too cute, blah, blah, blah. Totally fine with that. Um, I, I agree with Luke, like some, and somebody pointed this out when I was talking about it on Twitter and they kind of talked me into it, run the ball first once, because that was better for like clock management reasons. Um, you would have been able to take a little bit more time, especially if you're going to do something that's inherently risky, like having your running back throw a pass. In case of catastrophe, there's less time for it to burn you. And they did end up getting a field goal attempt. They missed it, thank goodness. But, you know, maybe that would have uh, been less of a good opportunity for the Lions. So those are probably my two biggest critiques of, like, the actual decision-making. Ed Ingram got exploded. Next time, don't get exploded, Ed Ingram. That's my – and don't fumble. Like, to me, that's That's going to screw up a lot of players. No matter what play you call, Ed Ingram exploding is going to ruin a lot of plays. Exactly. Like, that's going to lead to a few fumbles if Ed Ingram gets exploded. So <laughs> don't get exploded, right guard, next time. I mean, that was a disgusting block, especially considering, like, it's a trick play. Like, this, you're not being asked to reach block here. You're not being asked to drive somebody off the ball. It's a pop pass. Mm-hmm. This is not the time. This is not the most difficult thing you had to do today. And you and you got owned. That sucks. And it ruined the play, and it turned into a catastrophe. Uh, try to get owned less. There's my note for you. Free advice. Mm. Coaching point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll do my best to defend the three decisions that we're discussing here, and I'll, I'll try to do it in efficient fashion. So pop pass. I, I've watched the Vikings defense, you know, defend teams at the goal line. I've watched the Vikings offense struggle, like in the Buffalo game, at the goal line. And I've just watched the NFL. If you mess around and try not to score when you're behind in a game, Bad stuff happens. There's TFLs, there's penalties, there's hijinks. Bad stuff happens. Um, And I think there is a time and place for managing the clock in those situations. A minute left in the second quarter when you're behind is not that time, in my opinion. Um, Detroit, it was already down a timeout or two in that case. Um, And you've got a chance to catch them off guard and score from the three. I think you take that chance with a play that you've practiced and executed in practice, and it went well, Kirk Cousins said. Uh, Obviously it went well, or you wouldn't have called it. So I think that you score how you can score. Use your creativity to get the ball in the end zone. Um, Like, if you're saying to run the ball first, like, are are people going to complain then if that run play results in a touchdown? Oh, he should have fallen down at the one-yard line. No, like I, I think you just have to try to get in the end zone and not mess around when crazy stuff happens at the one-yard line. Like it's hard to score at the goal line. So I think the Vikings just have to take advantage of that. Um, Two-point conversion, analytics support it. You've got a 50% chance of getting in, and that's just baseline. If you have a talented offense, better than 50% chance to convert that one out of the two times you need it. If you convert it on the first try, then you set up a 90% extra point try that can give you the lead instead of messing with a tie situation because you want to if you're tied then it's out of your hands again because then you might go to overtime a coin flip might decide it um your defense might need to get a stop at the end 
take control on the offensive side, try to win the game. Um, and then the onside kick, Luke, we talked about this on, on the Locked on Vikings postcast, that basically you're, you're embracing the 5% chance that you can recover that fumble um, because your defense, A, is struggling. And number two, if you don't get a stop, no matter where the ball is on the field, the game is probably over. And in this case, it was. And I know they got a field goal. But even if they miss that field goal, you still have almost no time, 17 seconds to get the ball down the field. So I thought it was a um, a, a valid gamble the way your defense had been playing, which was miserable. Um, so I'm going to stand on the table for KOC for this one. I, I, I don't think that like if he makes those decisions again in the future, I wouldn't hate it. And, and one more point. Is anybody complaining in Detroit about Penny Sewell being thrown the ball on a key third down? This is back to the pop pass. Hey, that's a pretty good point. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. Is anyone upset about that? I mean, people are saying <laughs> Dalvin's out of position. How can you have Dalvin Cook throw the ball? I think people enjoy it when Justin <laughs> Johnny Munt throws was the wide ball. open. Johnny Munt yeah, was people, wide open. People he was there. love this. The play worked. Play worked yeah. if your right guard keeps his pants on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, Schlotman struggled yesterday. Did uh, Inman, did, did you miss Garrett Bradbury yesterday a little bit? Um, You know, I'd have to go back and watch all the tape on that. I, I didn't, you know, watching the game live, I didn't notice Schlotman too much, which is a good thing for offensive linemen. Ed Ingram was the guy that obviously everybody's going to be picking on. But of the big three, the, the three inactives, Darisaw, Bradbury, Harry, I think they missed Harry the most, honestly, of those three. Now, not to say yeah. that, like, that defensive performance is night and day different at all, but we just all know when Harry's on the field, uh, you put yourself in much better positions to limit those kind of goofy plays. Maybe Bynum still gets lost and flat-footed and gives up that big play to Jameson Williams over the top, even if Harry's on the field. But just in general, as a whole, I think they missed uh, – I thought I thought Brandle did fine again, okay, um, I think, by the way, they're, they're going to have an MRI on him. Hopefully we hear something, I don't know, in the next 24, 48 hours on him. But I think of those big three, I don't think Bradbury was number one. I don't. I think it was Harry. Fair enough. Do, is it worth going down the road of discussing the, the players not, that they did not play? Because like it, it seems, by all, by all accounts, it seems like they could have played in a playoff game. Like... Darisaw said he was good to go. Yeah. KOC is saying that, like, the other two guys are basically going to be fine. Um, and I think we can all agree, like, Mike Zimmer Mike Zimmer plays those guys. Like, those guys are playing in that game. Do – is there a concern not, – not even a concern. Is it curious in your mind that they went with the rest route instead of playing them in a game where you could have clinched the division? Is that – related to maybe their percentage chance to win the division anyway? Did they mail in the one seed here? Any opinions on that, Arif, Luke, Luke, anyone? Um, yeah, uh, I think it was the right decision. I think uh, going into the game, kind of like all things being equal, they had what, like a 45% chance to win? I don't know how the odds translate, 45, 48% chance to win. Um, and a loss is not that significant with regards to their Super Bowl hopes or their playoff chances. Um, whereas a loss has a much higher magnitude in the playoffs, right? You're, as soon as you lose, you have a 0% chance of winning the Super Bowl. Uh, and so uh, a loss in this case meant that the Vikings' chances of losing the second seed 
went from like, you know, 4% to 8% or so. I don't know, I'm making up the numbers, but that's probably um, Pretty around the percentages, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, it doesn't have that big of an impact. Obviously the Vikings should play to win, right? But if you have a choice to potentially protect the long-term health of three of your most important players, uh, do so, right? Like, I, I think that that's the right move. And I think that being careful with a person with a second concussion in particular is definitely the right move because my understanding mm -hmm. is that if you have two concussions in a very short period of time, um, the risks are substantial. And so, um, being careful. In, in that circumstance makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and also, you know, like a secret rest day for, you know, your most important old guy, uh, Harrison Smith. Yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it was the right move. Yeah. The only thing, I wish they would have almost committed to the bit and went all in and, and rested Zedarius Smith. I think last week I was kind of banging oh, the table a little point. bit. Clearly the last four or five weeks, he's been a little hobbled up. Yeah. You need him. And again, this pass rush to be fresh come playoff time. And he's obviously your best pass rusher. Not to mention the fact I think we would all enjoy to see a little bit more Patrick Jones, maybe even DJ Wanham. Anyways, it's one of your better depth positions when you look at the whole group and roster uh, top to bottom is those edge guys. So, um, yeah, I, I think Arif's right. Like, that was the right position or, or you know, um, stance to go on. I just wish they would have almost committed to it a little bit more and rested a guy like Zadarius Smith, yeah. who clearly is just not 100% right now. A accurate that Harrison Smith hasn't played against the Lions this year? Is that true? Because he had yeah. a concussion. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. In week three. So John Metellus got the game clinching interception. Sealed that game. Yeah. That's hmm. right. Yeah. That's right. Well, we need the Lions to hit the seven seed so Harrison Smith can get in there. Let's talk about maybe? that. Let's do a let's do a four minute drill on that. Let's queue up the four minute drill. The prompt is going oh, okay. to be Vikings, Lions, wildcard round. How confident would you be? Let's run that. Start the clock. It's time to execute the four-minute drill. Braun, since you brought it up, you can start. Uh, Vikings-Lions is a possibility in the first round of the playoffs. How would you feel about that matchup again? Uh, I don't think there's any matchup. I mean, nothing's free, right? So there's no matchup that I'm like, yeah, let's go. Like, that would be... I, I would definitely be nervous in any 2-7 matchup. Because I don't want the Vikings to be the first two seed to lose in the wild card round. And I fear that I dread this. I don't want them to hold that place in history. Uh, that said, the Lions, tough team. Um, I kind of want another crack at them. I feel like I want that like from an emotional fan perspective. I just I want to end their season. I want to make them sad. The Lions are too plucky. They're too big for their britches right now. I want to end them. So I would be excited for that reason. In terms of the actual merits of the Lions, um, Jared Goff certainly is not the uh, the best quarterback they could see in the wild card round, depending on how seeding goes. I mean, there are scenarios where they could maybe end up against Dallas or they could end up uh, against somebody a little scarier. I think going up against that Lions defense, I think the Vikings offense can do a little better than they did this time. So I'd probably feel okay about it. Uh, I think at home they'd probably be favored in that game, but I'd, I'd still be nervous. I too would be nervous because Jared Goff has a vast spectrum on of his performance. And he right now is unlocking 2018 Rams Goff mode. And that is a scary Goff mode. I don't want him to go full Goff on the Vikings in the playoffs because he does actually have a lot <laughs> there to unlock um 
I mean, wasn't that reminiscent of week four, 2018 against the Vikings with the Rams? I think it was. And for whatever reason, his confidence got shattered. He bottomed out as a quarterback. His future in the league was murky. And to his credit, he battled through an almost winless season last year, and he actually looks pretty good. Um, and not just managing the game with little dump-offs, but getting the ball downfield with accuracy and you know identifying those matchups downfield. And it's, it's easy to hit Jamison Williams when he's uncovered, but the throw to DJ Chark was very nice. And the way he found windows in the middle of the field was pretty nice as well. So I, I would not want to face Goff. I would much rather face Heineke or Daniel Jones, who I feel way better about uh, taking on at home in a playoff setting. You want to take on running quarterback Daniel Jones in the playoffs? Vikings against running quarterbacks? You want to challenge that? <laughs> Goff could go off. Spinman? Yes. Spinman, yeah. A lot of it has to do with how these next four games finish out, honestly. There's a lot of football to be played. A lot can swing in momentum one way or the other. So a lot can happen from now to then. But say they were to play next week, my confidence would be ah, 6 out of 10. I'm kind of brought like slightly more confident than not. The Lions, if they get in, think about it, they'll be the hottest team in the league at that point. And the Vikings are feeling like probably the complete opposite as far as momentum. But they do play the Lions as the seventh seed. That means they're the two seed. So also at the same point, like things must have finished on somewhat of a high note. So you got to keep that in mind. But I think the things that would make me feel a lot better about that game is the fact that obviously to be at home, if you look at the Lions defense, as much as they've turned it around, it's still been really bad on the road. I think they average more than 10 more points per game at home versus the road. Vikings always just play better at home, just in general. And then the fact you should have those three key names back. We already mentioned Bradbury, Darison, Harrison Smith. So say what you want about Bradbury, that's fine. But Darison, Harry, two vital pieces to what they can do both offensively and defensively. So at home, get those core guys back. I'd be at about a six, slightly more confident than not, despite the fact, again, you're playing a team that's, Red hot, just beat you. I know this this loss is fresh right now, but again, a lot can change from now till then. All right, yeah. So uh, what our options are full golf or when golf is just a guy, those are Jags. So it's full golf or jag off, right? Um, I think oh, it is on. pretty unlikely that uh, we're going to see this level of repeated performance from golf going forward. Now, I agree with Braun that uh, you're not going to get an easy game in the playoffs. If I could choose my opponent, um, I would probably put the Lions relatively high on the list. I know they're hot right now, um, but I think that the way the Lions are winning, um, I'm not going to say it's unsustainable or anything like that. I, I think that uh, it is drawing upon the fact that the that their approach both offensively and defensively is relatively new compared to most teams this season, uh, which is not to say they'll be figured out, but I think that there's going to be more answers available to teams that will play the Lions down the stretch than we've seen in the past couple of weeks because the Lions are doing different stuff offensively and defensively, and it's working for them. I don't think it's going to continue to work for them as teams adapt to what they do, and I think that the Vikings can draw upon that. I think that the Lions have basically reached their ceiling a lot of the ways, uh, defensively and offensively. I don't think the Vikings have defensively and offensively. And I think at home, they would be favored. And I think, generally speaking, they are the better team. I, yeah, I mean, to your point, what scares me the most yeah. about Goff is, is his running game. Like, they have the blueprint to be successful on offense because they're so balanced right now in the run in the pass. And, you know, I think Goff doesn't have the same time back there in the pocket, you know, in a loud U.S. Bank Stadium in that playoff atmosphere. That would go a long way. That's why I kind of went six out of ten. But, you know, also, too, you ask anybody six weeks ago, 
and you say, oh, you're only six out of 10 confidence-wise against the Lions in the playoffs as the two seed. They say, what in the world happened? The Vikings that bad now? The Lions that good? I think it's probably a little bit of both, but more so a testament to the Lions and what they've been able to do the last six weeks. Uh, again, to Luke's point, like that's not going to be an easy game, but probably, again, no easy games come playoff time either. And, Inman, you made a good point on Superior Sports Talk that the Lions are a 6-7 and seven team with a terrible defense, and everybody loves them compared to the Vikings, who are a 10-3 and three team with a terrible defense um, and a pretty good offense. Um, so that's kind of an interesting comparison there. And the Lions are just a novelty. People kind of are, are rallying around the lovable losers right now who are typically in the basement and now are actually making some noise. Uh, Justin Jefferson, record breaker. Let's talk about that after I tell everyone else about Locked On Sports today. It's a great show on Mondays after an NFL Sunday. All the games that matter, uh, get the biggest stories in the NFL and sports at large, go beyond the scoreboard, behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports today available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Four yards shy of Anthony Carter. And he sets the regular season Vikings uh, single game mark. Justin Jefferson, 223 yards. And it probably should have been 250 plus if they don't rule him out of bounds. An unbelievable performance that snuck up on you in a lot of ways. <laughs> so I mean, I didn't even, I didn't even yeah. realize that he went over 200 until he did it. And then people were tweeting, 213. Um, what a performance. In, in a season full of games where we said, what a performance. Braun, your thoughts, Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, uh, a great day wasted on the offensive side of the ball. It's such a shame, both because it was wasted and because it was the record, but the ref screwed up if he was out of bounds or not, uh, which also such cost them like thing. a minute of time, which yeah. was like crucial mm -hmm. to the end of the game too. Mm -hmm. So that was like, but hey, refs are luck, right? That's just ref luck. Um, in camp, one of the things that stuck out to me the most, and I'm certainly not the only one, was just the wavelength that Cousins and Jefferson were on. There was just so much. The, the way that Jefferson was adjusting his routes and Cousins would always have the ball the way that it needed to be in like to be accurate despite that route being adjusted on the fly was astounding to me. I was like, oh, like these dudes are in the same brain right now. And I think that game was maybe the best example of that coming to fruition this whole season where all of those throws were, there were like back shoulder adjustments and they were um, not like the typical throw of that route because Justin Jefferson had done something to take advantage of the cornerbacks leverage or something like that. Like it's so mo much more advanced of a level than your typical, you know, run a route, throw to the spot that that route is supposed to run into kind of play there's so many more layers to what Justin Jefferson does. And when Kirk Cousins is on that wavelength with Jefferson to that level, yeah, that's going to get you 200 yards for a receiver. It's it's truly a joy to watch, even though the Vikings couldn't turn it into a win. Yeah, I, honestly, I, I'm just in awe. Like, I'm not sure there's much more that can be said that hasn't already been touched on. Uh, you just sit back and... and He's just incredible. You're just in awe watching this guy week in and week out. He's open when he's not. He's one of the best go up and get it, like high-pointing wideouts in the league right now. And what he does for this offense, too, is going to be worth every penny you have to pay him. And why I think, too, he should be in the discussion. He's not going to win. 
but he should be in the discussion. He get he should get thrown out there if people want to talk about Cheetah, what he's done for two in the Dolphins. JJ one. has to be right on par with that scenario in every facet, in my opinion. Soaks up that extra attention every play, allows his teammates to be more productive than they would be without him. And it's crazy to think about. He may go for over 2,000 yards, I said this this morning, and he may not even be the receiving champ when it's all said and done. The fact both him and Tyreek having the seasons that they're having, just incredible to watch. I think J.J. gives fans like this hope, no matter the score, that if you got a guy like that out there on the field, never over till it's over after the plays we've kind of seen him make now this season. And I think you said it, Sam, this morning too. Like, it's scary to think he might actually be getting better but to Luke's point, too, watching him and the way KOC has kind of schemed him open, the wavelength both the uh, uh, quarterback and receiver are on right now, in this offense, it's just been so much fun to watch. It's incredible. And and I'm not even sure, and it, yes to the scheme thing, but on some of those throws, it's not even scheme. It's no. just literally one guy against two, and the one mm-hmm. guy makes the catch. And the quarterback yeah. has the cojones to throw it into that spot which is growth for Kirk. It's development for Jefferson, who's making every single contested catch. I, I'm probably, after this show, once the PFF numbers get up, probably I'm going to go filter, like, Buffalo game. Are they? I would love yeah, to see they, Buffalo they went up during game. The show. Yeah. Of course, always happens. From Buffalo <laughs> game to now, what Justin Jefferson's contested catch rate is. Because it's got to oh, be 80% or what, better. Wait, give me a sec. What, uh, what week was Buffalo? Sorry. That would be 11, week 10. 10. Week 10. And to Luke's point, too, like the wavelength these two are First of all, KOC comes in. Now you get the marriage between the coach, the head coach, and the quarterback, which we didn't have under Zimmer. And then just the, the fact he allows Kirk to just get on this same wavelength and grow this chemistry with his best weapon, um, it speaks volumes to what KOC has been able to do. 15 targets yesterday in a game that they had to pass pretty much the whole second half, twice as many targets, I think, as the next best guy. I think it was Hawkinson with eight targets. That's just incredible. All right, I've got it. So since since week 10, uh, Justin Jefferson leads the league in total number of contested catches since we, so with eight, since week 10 out of the, out of the 16 receivers that have had five contested targets, Justin Jefferson ranks second in contested catch catch rate. Only second to a guy that makes the most sense in the world to beat out be uh, to be being out Justin Jefferson in this George Pickens, the only type of catch that guy okay. seems to be able to make anyway. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, it is obviously pretty phenomenal. An eighty percent contested catch win rate. Uh, again, wow. George Pickens is seven of eight with eighty-seven point five. Jefferson has one more contested catch than him. Also, in that span of time, Jefferson only has one drop. So, pretty uh, incredible stuff overall. Um, now, remind you, before the Buffalo Bills game, his contested catch rate on the season was like 33% or something like that. It was really low. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, in some ways, you could call this regression. In some ways, you can call it a return to form. I think that given that his contested catch rate, win rate in college was like the highest out of all the draftable receivers, something like, 91% or something obscene and unbelievable like that. I choose to believe that he's kind of figured it out in an NFL level because this has been an issue of his uh, from his rookie year. Out of like the, the two weaknesses that he has and the 3,000 strengths that he has, one of those two weaknesses happened to be, you know, his ability to replicate his contested catch success from the college level to the NFL level. Seems like he has figured it out. What I find kind of interesting, so this is obviously his most productive game of the year. Um, 
I think that Justin Jefferson's game against the Bills is probably his best game of the year because mm-hmm. he didn't have to make up for Cousins in this game. I think that in the Bills game, he made Cousins look good. I think in this game, mm-hmm. they made each other look good. They both had really astounding games. To me, this is probably Cousins' best game of the year. Uh, we're so far removed from the Packers game that I can't even remember if that one qualifies. Uh, but certainly kind of given uh, how we feel about the way the passing game has evolved, um, over the course of the season, to me, this becomes, you know, the most important good performance that he's had. I think that he's done a really great job. I don't know statistically if this was his best game of the year, but one thing that stood out to me is that, you know, before this game, um, I mentioned that the Lions have been blitzing a little bit less uh, since they made that defensive back change, the defensive back coach change, uh, and have been playing a little bit more zone coverage, not entirely man coverage. But in this game, I anticipated that they would blitz Cousins a lot more because he's been so weak against the blitz this season. Well, they did do that. They blitzed him, I think, at least 14 times, and he was spectacular against the blitz. I think he was nearly perfect against the blitz. He did a great job mitigating pressure before it arrived, and when it did arrive, throwing against pressure and into the teeth of the defense, uh, generating some pretty big games. So that, I think, um, was a, a great credit to Cousins. As for the MVP stuff, I did write about that over at ProFootballNetwork.com. Both Justin Jefferson and Tyree Kill are probably in MVP conversations right now. Jefferson is leading uh, in the receiving race and total receiving yardage. Um, they've been trading off him and Hill, betting on who has the 150-yard game that week. Uh, mm-hmm. And, um, you know, 125 yards a game to finish out the season to get to 2,000. I think it is unlikely that either of them will win the MVP. I think we all kind of agree with that, not only because a receiver has never won it, but I think for a non-quarterback to win it, they have to be outstanding in a number of statistical categories. Now, Jefferson and Hill are both outstanding in the receiving yardage category. They are not outstanding in the touchdown category. They both have six receiving touchdowns this year. Uh, And I think that's going to hurt them in the MVP race. That's not a criticism that I am making of either of them. Touchdowns are fairly random, but rather a prediction about the way that the MVP race will shake out. And it's a shame because the only time a non-quarterback can win the MVP is if they have an outstanding outlier statistical year in multiple categories and quarterback performances down across the league. Because we have seen 1,900-yard performances not get MVP votes. Remember Calvin Johnson in 2012, when, of course, you had Adrian Peterson win, or some really excellent seasons in 2004 that were overshadowed by Peyton Manning of one of the best quarterback seasons of all time, right? So you need a singular, incredible performance by a non-quarterback in multiple statistical categories in a year where quarterback play is down. I think this year kind of qualifies. Now we're seeing the second half of the season, quarterbacks doing a little bit better. But I think people don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to vote for Mahomes unless they're forced into it. And for some reason, people are, are kind of holding back on wanting to vote for Jalen Hurts. I know why they're holding back on holding uh, on voting for Tua, but he is going to be in that conversation as well. Mm, yeah. Point. It, I fear that the 2,000-yard pursuit will be lost in the cold-weather games to end the year. Frozen Tundra, Windy City, those just aren't great passing environments. And if he needs, let's just say it's the 125 in both, I think that's going to be tough. So maybe get like 230 in the Colts game and give yourself yeah, a little bit of wiggle room. Yeah, just do yeah. that. Yeah. Easy. No problem. Yeah. yeah. Give no yourself problem. a little bit of wiggle room. Yeah, of course. Definitely. Uh, sp- uh, by the way, Justin Jefferson yeah. in, over his last five games is averaging over 122, something like that, um, which is Christ. close. <laughs> it's just, Jeez. it hits me sometimes. It's like the numbers I don't, know. like the, it's a video game. It's insane. Dude. dude. 11 yeah. catches so is, yesterday like, is, averaged over 20 fan. yards per catch. 
What? <laughs> just insane. What are we doing? Bonkers. Run game. Bonkers in a different mm. way. Uh, I looked it up. Mm. Vikings are sixth worst success rate, and that's with a mostly healthy Dalvin Cook every game. Um, does anyone want to hazard a guess as to what is going on with that group? Uh, everyone's they are giving up of... penetration up front. Yeah, it's I mean just, they all are dudes in the backfield. And that's a problem. They're, yeah, they're one and, of and the it's, lowest. It's in not the like it's one guy every time. Contact. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. they're they're giving up a mm -hmm. lot of penetration. They're one of the lowest in the league in yards before contact. Yards before contact is not just an offensive line stat, though. It is also a running back stat. Um, so that I I don't think Cook is doing as good of a job at reacting as quickly to penetration as he has in the past. This is probably one of the worst run blocking lines that he's had with the Vikings, but I don't think Cook is doing a good enough job there, which sucks because he's physically more capable right now than he yep. was almost any time in the last two or three years. Like he is so agile and so fast compared to where he's been over the past three years that him not having that kind of acuity that he normally has in dealing with, uh, you know, quick penetration or holes opening up or whatever is contributing. I think the primary problem is the offensive line, but I don't want to say that Cook is completely absolved of some of the decisions that he's made as a runner. And again, this is kind of like when you're criticizing quarterbacks when they've got, you know, a blitzer in their face or whatever. It's like, yeah, I can't replicate any of that. I'm asking something that is functionally impossible for humans, but he's being compared against like the Christian McCaffrey's of the world. And if he's doing that, he's, he's not uh, living up to that standard. Yeah. 1.7 yards per carry yesterday. That's obviously atrocious. Jets game was fine. That was solid week prior versus the Pats 2.1 yards per rush. Uh, here's a wild stat that caught my eye in the last five weeks. 33.9% of the Vikings runs have gone for zero or negative yards, most in the NFL by far. So I didn't know if it was the blocking, if it was Dalvin, I was going to kind of lean on you guys a little bit for the X's and O's. Sounds like it's maybe a little bit more of both, maybe a little bit more offensive line blocking um, than not. But I, I think it goes back to like Dalvin's just that home run hitter, that boomer bust runner, a lot of one yard, two yard, minus one. And then you get the big chunk, the big rip. But when you're not getting those big home runs, like the, the Miami game was a perfect example. It makes life really tough to set up your offense in these second and third and longs throughout the entire game, drive after drive. Um, you know, maybe passing to set up the run, I, I would – think would help more I don't know I think at the beginning of the year right like we all knew it was going to look different no more two tight ends CJ Ham run the ball 35 40 times but we we're all like well still though like maybe maybe KOC passes to set up the run and that opens things up for Dalvin in the running game things like that it doesn't seem like that's been the case for whatever reason again maybe I'm just more leaning on Luke and Arif for this and more some X's and O's but maybe just this is his worst run blocking offensive line he's ran behind but um, you know, I think when you're not getting those chunk plays from Dalvin, it's just tough on Kirk in the entire passing game when you're constantly behind the chains like that throughout the game. Yeah, Baron, did you have more on the, the, the penetration they're permitting up front? I mean, it's kind of the same thing as the pop pass. A dude's just not getting there, just not yeah. just getting exploded. Um, I, I wonder in this game if not having, I mean, not having Derisaw has done this a little bit, and I wonder if not having Bradbury meant it happened more, um, where you're just asking more of somebody like Ezra Cleveland, and I don't think he's up to the task of being like the Bradbury of zone of these zone runs where it's like he's the one reaching every time. 
Um, so I, I don't I don't know though. That's just a guess. But it's sometimes it's just straight up misfits and it, or it's just like busted run plays where somebody blocks the wrong dude and you get somebody coming up. Um, sometimes like the fourth and one at the beginning of the game, the very first drive, fourth and one, they were outgapped. That there's too many people in the box than they were able to block and somebody was able to run in free. Um, so can we check out of that a little bit? And I know Kirk Cousins checks out of plays a lot, so I wonder why he wasn't able to in that one. Um, so I don't know. The answer to this is going to be more of a play-to-play thing. Like it's going to be a more solid answer, play-to-play. And then if you want to chart all of them and have a, a blame pie chart, go for it. But to me, it's a lot of dudes just getting wrecked on a block, like Brian O'Neill getting swum to hell by Aiden Hutchinson. Oh, that was I mean, it's just bad. Like ugly. There's so many bad. of those. Yeah. Stop doing that. Stop getting owned. <laughs> Get in their chest. Yeah. Be better. No, uh, just in general. Just be better. Well, okay, not, it's not even be great, or it's just stop getting the piss kicked out of you. Please. So <laughs> I, I, I do think that there are there's like kind of an interesting thing here because um, I, I, I retweeted I think it was Alec Lewis's tweet about um, you know yards before contact whatever and in in my replies um, I had people both complaining that they run it up the middle too often when the guards are bad and that they run it outside too often by pitching it backwards five yards and okay. Uh, it sounds like there's a common problem here instead instead of the play design or the play decision making i should say it might be obviously having better offensive linemen is going to be a big part of it but it might also be that when you zag when you're supposed to zig or vice versa right um you're not doing a good enough job disguising your intentions right because you know there are ways to run outside without pitching at five yards but you know, Dalvin Cook is much better when he's got a full head of steam, right? And so maybe you do want to pitch it because it's going to give him some more room to build up acceleration and stuff like that. I don't know. Um, but maybe throw in, you know, at the beginning of the season, they were playing a little bit more gap, right? Maybe throw in, get back into that um, just so that you're not reliant on all five or I guess three play side guys, but all five blocks being one, right? If you If you run gap, you're really relying on three blocks at the point of attack yeah, you're kind of committed to a gap unless you've got a really good running back that can bounce out, which Dalvin sometimes can do. Um, but maybe kind of change up your scheme a little bit. And then gap also allows you to be a little bit more um, aggressive in your misdirection when you're running counter and doing these kinds of runs because it does more likely and more aggressively lead people away from the run. So there are probably ways they can disguise their intentions when running the ball a little bit better. But this is all strategies for dealing with how bad the offensive line is. That is the primary problem. You all, the best you can do is accommodate that, and I don't think the Vikings are doing a very good job of accommodating that. So I think that that is one way to approach this problem. But the problem is that they're getting beat up front. So is there a case to be made that oh, this is Kirk Cousins' best pass-blocking offensive line he's played with and Dalvin's worst run-blocking offensive line at the same best time? Best with the Vikings. Yeah, best with the Vikings. Okay, okay. yeah, 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 that's fair. But yeah, yep. yeah, Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you could say that it's his best pass blocking line with the Vikings and Dalvin's worst run blocking line at the same time, for sure, which is not how this team was drafted or built, but mm-hmm. sure. But, yeah. I mean, tackles, none of this team obviously is, his best tackles, played the way it and was the, center has, <laughs> the center has gotten a lot better, so that's helpful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, 
this team was built by people who do not work for it points. anymore. Nothing is going the way it was the, right. the, the way it was planned. Yeah, originally. right. Yeah. If, if, uh, if there's that's what a you moral... get when you fire everybody. That's the point. Yeah, yeah. if right. there's a moral to this show, I don't that. know if this show has any morals, but they are ten um, so you know. I I think well, yeah. that the realization is that growing pains might take an, an entire year. That's run game, yeah. that's defense, mm -hmm. blocking. Um and the only thing that's really carrying that like that has carried over is the talent of Justin Jefferson. The quarterback stat, like the quarterback says that he's still uncomfortable in the scheme in different words. Like the one thing that works is Justin Jefferson. Everything else is still figuring it out. Even the secondary receivers, Osborne and Thielen. I mean, there's, there's still miscommunications in with those guys. Um, and that's kind of a harsh realization that it, it can't, you can't just snap your fingers and have it be better. There's a lot for this team to work on going into 2023, and that's none of 2023 is not a guarantee at all that you're going to be good. So you got to take advantage of this year, and uh, the Vikings have a chance to bounce back Saturday. Um, gambling uh, update real as quick we on hit, that point. Yeah, sorry, real yep. quick on that point. Remember Sean McVay, 2017, they did go 11 and five. They were uncomfortable as a team. Not all of that personnel was well suited for what Sean McVay wanted to do, but they won a bunch of games, got into the playoffs, bounced right away in the playoffs. Right. 2018 mm -hmm. turned out to be a pretty good year for them. So it's possible. Correct. Look at that Rams good comparison point. again. All right, Arif, you went 0-2 and, and lost your lead in the gambling contest. We had 1,000 mythical dollars to start. You lost uh, 300 with two losses this week. Braun put the house on the Titans, minus four. And Did you go Max? Jaguars. I went max and... on the Titans, who had not lost wow. only one of his bets. Nine only one of his home. bets. Wow. <laughs> I lost the other one, too. It doesn't matter. Because I didn't get the over in this game either, did I? Or did I? No, you, you oh, did. Vikings no, you got it. Over oh, hit. They did make it. Yeah. Over yeah. Hit. It was what, 53 and a half? They got 55? It was 51. Yeah, 57. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 okay. I put 1,000 on two games, and I went one and one, so I lose the juice. So I... Creep down further into the red, but I'm still hanging to hope. Luke Inman takes the lead. 2-0 week. Jets plus 10. Steelers, Ravens under. We've got a new leader. Congrats. Steelers. Were you guys like, this guy's taking the under on 36 and a half? What an idiot. What an No, idiot. I thought it made sense. It, it helped that, uh, that Mitch good. Trubisky entered the game, of course. Uh, yes, it did. You didn't yes, just a little bit. Just a little <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't remember what I said. I thought it was kind of fun, but I didn't. I don't think I said it made no sense, right? Because I have no idea how good Tyler Huntley is. Fair enough. And I went yeah. max bet, right, Sam? <clears throat> I don't know about that, but you are is in the that, lead, and now Luke, Braun, and I in the basement in the negative will have to vie for last place. We punish the loser <laughs> at the end of the year. Let's. And we're the all going to be there during this punt pass. Uh, you know, whatever competition. Well, this is day. problematic now because Luke Braun, are you coming for the holidays or anything? You don't live here. You don't live in a wintry. Yeah, area. I'll be there for a bit for the holidays. I am okay. very likely to be in Minnesota holidays. for the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. Arif always oh, leaves okay. for the holidays, though. Yeah, yeah. well, well I the, fish, I, the, I'll so be in Minnesota for the playoffs, it, though. Is so this just a regular season contest? Visit. Yeah. We can make it. Yeah, okay. have to so be then, for the playoffs. Yeah. I will almost certainly be in Minnesota for the playoffs. Okay. Let's so, assume that you lose. <laughs> um, and we'll plan on Fair. doing something That's then. a decent assumption. <laughs> Party fouls. Let's get into it.
It's time to tell you who spilled their proverbial drink on the sofa. Get ready for this week's party foul. Inman, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Um, you know, yesterday uh, we had to go to a bar to go watch the game. I'm not going to mention the bar. It's actually a great setup if you want to go watch a game. Uh, I had to go help the wife with a little fangirl pop-up shop and do a little bit of work. I can't stand watching the game. Unless I'm at the game, you, you two are in the press box. That's great. I can't stand watching these Vikings games, not in the comfort of my home. So many times I was freaking out. Justin Jefferson, I thought he had that first down. Um, you know, the, the foot out of bounds. Why aren't they challenging this? They even had the volume on and it was high. I still couldn't hear a thing. I cannot watch games unless I'm there mm. at U.S. Bank, maybe in the press box someday. I can't watch games unless I'm at home. I, I just miss out on too much. It's just so hard. And I was texting with you uh, last night about this. It's so hard to know what's going on when you can't hear the play-by-play and the commentary going on. That's my party fall. I'm done watching games. Unless I'm at the bank, I got to watch them at home. That's pretty fair, actually. You didn't miss too much with Vilma and Albert yesterday. Not a big Fox guy. Okay, they, they, they so were not. Better. I agree that they were not great, but I think Luke would have had a better experience complaining about how bad they were than not knowing <laughs> what was going on. <laughs> oh, that's good. Correct. But do you guys get my pain? To... Like, do you guys ever go to a yeah. like, B-dubs or something and you're like, I, yeah, I can't. Yeah, hey, can it. you turn the volume up, lady? It. And the lady looks for twenty. The volume was on, and like it was out of respect. I still couldn't understand everything. It's so loud well, in there. It's muffled. Tons of screens, but I can't do I'll it. I'll say this. Some some places do pipe it in through the speakers, and so you can yes. hear it a little bit, but that is pretty yes. rare. Um, yes. So, That's like a Vikings you know, when you, when bar. You find, yeah, you got to yes, call right. ahead so when and you, be like. Yeah. When, when, you, yeah. it, when you find one of those places, that's as good as gold. So that's, True. that's Luke, important. you just got to put in, put in Paul Allen's call on – in your ears and then just have him spoil what's going to happen 10 seconds ahead of the TV. Yeah. That's seven second delay. Totally. Right. Um, My party foul is related to Emmanuel Acho, but it is not Emmanuel Acho. So for people unfamiliar, Emmanuel Acho has made it his bit over the past couple of weeks to denigrate Justin Herbert as a quote unquote, social media quarterback. Very funny. If you know about Justin Herbert's demeanor, he is very introverted and not a very public-facing figure. Um, But his point is that Justin Herbert is not that good of a quarterback, but gets pumped up as a great quarterback because he's got great highlight plays. He, of course, is wrong. Justin Herbert is a fantastic quarterback. He is also an entertainer. My party foul is on everyone who expected Emmanuel Acho to do better. Uh, He's not going to give you a good faith conversation. (laughs) Stop treating him like he's going to give you a good faith conversation on any of this type of stuff. There's a reason that he puts on this like preacher persona when he talks about this sort of stuff. It's because he wants to be entertaining. He wants to string together fun turns of phrase, good rhymes, great ways to make you think that he knows a lot about the game when he very clearly is either not putting in the effort to know very much about the game or knows a lot about the game and is lying to you. That's Mm. what's happening. It has been happening since he has appeared on television Stop treating him as if he is going to give you his honest understanding of the game or stop treating him like he's giving you a good understanding of the game. He's not doing it. He's not going to back down now that Justin Herbert had a much better game than Tua Tagovailoa, who is the other guy in this like made-up rivalry that Emmanuel Acho is propping up. 
as a way to bring Justin Herbert down somehow. That's just not what's going to happen. I don't care if you like, uh, you know, criticize him to like, you know, and magnify. I don't really care about his platform, whatever. My issue is just people thinking that he's going to change. He's not. This is making him money. It's fine for him. This is what entertainment is about. You just have to understand that it's entertainment. I stopped getting mad at Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith. A lot of people have because they understand who they are. Now you need to understand that that's who Emmanuel Acho is. Boom. Mic drop. Yep. Mine's a lot more lighthearted. It goes from before the game. That it goes to uh, Greg Joseph. <laughs> Mine's even for a reason, smaller. It's not about the responsibility <laughs> yeah. of, of platforms or the expectations of pundits. It's about Greg Joseph almost taking his coach's head, head off with a kick. Keep that thing out of the press conference, man. What are you doing? Oh, yeah. Greg, yeah. That Greg was from, I didn't know who that was from, where that came from. I saw the clip. <laughs> I don't know where that ball came I from. I saw I cannot confirm that it was Greg Joseph, but I saw I, I think okay. one of the reporters mentioned it. Could have Got been it. Ryan Wright or something, in which case he gets the party foul. So if you watch on, Joseph I, I when you're at the game, Ryan Wright the party foul. You could do no he and never. He made a tackle True. yesterday, guys. Um, look at that. Greg Joseph will stand <laughs> among the cheerleaders. He will stand among the skull line. He will stand among the veterans getting <laughs> honored at midfield. He will stand and like do his field goal routine amidst chaos around him. There could be a <laughs> petting zoo that. on the field. And that's he would be kicking cool. field goals <laughs> in the moments. Yeah, he's unflappable. And maybe that's yeah. part of the thing. He's like, if I can kick yeah. in this... Um, I can kick anywhere. If I, I can disrespect him, the troops and make field goals, I will make field goals. <laughs> when it matters most, I will rise to the occasion. Well, hey, remember, so, Matt Daniels was all about getting him into a routine. He's like, yeah, I came in, and he, like, he didn't have a routine. It's like, well, no, it's just like golf. Like You got to have the same routine every shot. And maybe that's one of his things, like getting into that same routine that Matt Daniels was talking about. Get a little chaos. Get that, get that puppy out of the way. He's in the line of fire. Yeah. It's on yeah. the puppy, not on me. Move the press conference. Yeah. <laughs> I changed my party right. file to Vikings PR. Move the press conference yeah. out of the way. Well, it should be hard, right? <laughs> I think it's not bolted. Can I re-rack a party file from last week? Jalen Rager guaranteeing victory for that game Ooh, that hasn't yeah. been addressed yet on this show. Ooh. I mean, it really is on Rager. Who, guaranteed when the you're gonna guarantee yeah. When you're going to yeah. guarantee a win, you need to produce when you're underdogs, something by the way. in the game. By the way, yeah. guarantee you yeah, you're underdogs. You're underdogs. On the road. And then he like, tried to take it Dan back Campbell on Twitter. Was... He's like, I got to watch my mouth. Like, nah, buddy, you said <laughs> Oh, he did? <laughs> oh, funny. Yeah. yeah. Did you see that Dan Campbell was like, oh, I had no idea we were favored. That, frankly, that shocks me. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. That rules. Yeah. <laughs> no, I will not be Chris... endeared to them. Screw the Lions. I want to beat them in the playoffs. I don't understand you, man. If, okay, I, which rivalry team... sucks. I okay, want it okay, to be better. Let's let look. Let's say that the Vikings have to lose in the playoffs. They'll lose in the first round. Who would you want to lose to? I want to lose to the Lions. That sounds great. Oh, the Lions Brady. are. are, are I want to lose to Brady. Last Seahawks. Arif, yeah, you want to lose to your Brady, favorite team, lose Seattle. To... Come on. I don't like the Seahawks. You love the Seahawks. Don't even think <laughs> about it. <laughs> I have, uh, dude, I, Lions fans have been the nicest ones to me online. So I am partial to the Lions. Yeah, that doesn't do anything for me. I need them to be meaner to me. I, I've been trying to pick a fight with the Lions fans for like two years. 
and it's not working. It's like, wow, that sounds Luke, like Lions fans are. They great. need to earn Luke's respect by fighting back. It's like the coach that tries yeah. to get the players to to kind of stand up for themselves. That's what mm-hmm. Luke wants out of Lions yeah. fans. Luke's like punching people at the combine interview to see what response he gets from players. <laughs> Come <laughs> hey, you on. like that? Huh? Come on. Come on. Put your big boy pants on. Oh, you get to cry? What are you, you going to cry, do? you little baby? Come on. <laughs> that That's why Luke never drafts a kicker. He clocks each one of them and they back down. <laughs> True. <laughs> urban, he's urban miring the kickers. <laughs> yeah. No, that always uh, works out I great. won't say Urban yeah. Meyer did nothing wrong. <laughs> but how do we know that kicker didn't have it coming? We're off the rails. We're unhinged <laughs> on the Minnesota football party Mondays and Thursdays on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Luke Inman at Luke underscore Spinman, Arif Hassan at Arif Hassan NFL, Luke Braun at Luke Braun NFL. And I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom. We'll talk to you Thursday. Ron Johnson joins. We'll make our gambling picks and preview the Colts three days from now. Thanks for watching and listening to the Minnesota Football Party.